this on Wednesday nights, the, the last few weeks. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. And I ask a question every single week that says, what is the explicit reason for this particular commandment? And I've been asking that every week. And there are some commands that God gives in Exodus 20 where He says, here's the reason to do this. You know, it says, you know, obey your mother and father that it may go well, or honor your, your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is, is giving you. Uh, and then there are other commands like thou shalt not murder where you look and it looks like there is no explicit reason for the command. God just tells you to do it. But earlier in Exodus 20, the reason that God tells you to do all these commands is He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That that is the explicit reason for every command God has given. He says, here's who I am. Here's what I've done for you. Now let me tell you what to do. He doesn't say, do this and I'll save you. He says, because I've saved you, do this. That that's the explicit reason. That, that we should have love for God based on what He's already done for us and therefore obey Him. So, what Jesus has to say in the section of Revelation we're looking at today is very, very, very pointed. And it's very, very, very sharp. That doesn't mean it's not gracious. So, I feel like before I read that, you don't have to flip here, you can if you want to, so go ahead, mark Revelation if you want to follow me, but it, we're not going to be here that long. I just want to remind you why when Jesus says something that comes across as harsh, we should not take just the harshness. We should remember why he's saying something as pointed as he is. Luke chapter 23. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming, um, who was coming from the country, and on, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For in the deed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Just remember that when Jesus says something that seems harsh, when Jesus says something that seems like it's a little strong, maybe Jesus, there was a, a kinder way to say this. Just remember that Jesus is saying this from the perspective of someone who gave his life to purchase yours. Remember this is coming from a perspective where Jesus has already gone to the, the farthest lengths of the universe to save your soul. So he deserves our respect and our allegiance and our loyalty. So it makes a lot of sense that Jesus would get pretty heated about what he's heated about today.
So now, if you will stand out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast to what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He, shall, he will rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Um, Lord, I pray that you would take this word. Lord, that you would, you would grant us grace to hear it and accept it and to not push against it. Because it's our tendency to push against things like this when Jesus says them. Lord, help us to accept them at face value, to take them, to not seek to defend or justify ourselves, but to just take the word of Jesus and say, yes, Lord, um, I pray that you give me uh, the wisdom to say what I need to say and the restraint to not say what I don't. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I named today's sermon God's Line in the Sand because that's basically what it is. Uh, that we have been going through these letters that Jesus is writing to these seven churches in Asia Minor, that these were real churches. These are not symbolic churches of different ages of the church. Some folks have tried to do that. These are seven actual churches with seven actual pastors who are referred to as the angels of the churches in, 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 in these various places. And Jesus has something specific to say to each of them. Now, we've been through Ephesus, we've been through Smyrna, we've been through Pergamos, or your Bible might say Pergamum, and today we reach the church in Thyatira. Now, Jesus introduces himself to every church differently. And when he introduces himself to the church at Thyatira, that is no different. Today, we're going to talk about purity. We're going to talk about purity. Um, how many of you, your Bibles, I know a lot of you have subheadings. Do you have subheadings in your Bible? Yes, some of you do. Does anybody have a subheading that, like mine, says the corrupt church? Have anything like that? Yeah. Um, the, the church at Thyatira is a church that had allowed itself to be contaminated. Um, that it had let someone or maybe some people in who were not... They, they were identifying as part of God's community, but they weren't really. Um, so I want us to see the way that Jesus deals with a church that tolerates corruption. And first, I want us to see that God's patience is gracious and intended to lead us to repentance. Let's look at the way Jesus introduces himself. First in verse 18, he says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, again, he's writing this to Thyatira. He's addressing the letter to the pastor. That's why he says to the angel of the church in Thyatira. He says, these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Does this sound familiar to any of you who have been with us since the beginning of this series in Revelation? It should. This is a callback to Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Now, to get back there, all I have to do is grab this page and turn one back. If you wanted to see where I'm going, that's why it's not on your handout. Revelation 1, verses 14 to 15 say, his head, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. And then you get another little phrase. As if refined in a furnace. 
What happens in a refining furnace? That you generally, inside the furnace, if you break, down, break it down, you've got two things. You've got whatever the metal is that you are refining. So let's say it's gold, right? Let's say you're refining gold, or maybe you're refining silver or some precious metal like that. You've got that metal that you put into the furnace, and you would not be putting it into the furnace if there was not the second thing, which is the impurities that are contained within the metal. And the reason you put it in the furnace is because the metal and the impurities in it burn at different temperatures. And generally, the, the impurities would have burned at a lower temperature than the metals would. So you can put that in there, and as long as the impurities reach that high degree of heat, they are going to burn off. And when you take the metal out of the furnace, what you're going to have is a metal that is more pure than it was when you put it in. For that to happen, the furnace has got to be extremely hot. So you're going to have lots of imagery of fire and of heat. And how does Jesus introduce himself to the church at Thyatira? With eyes like what? Fire. With eyes like fire. Now the fire is what does the purifying in the furnace. So if the fire is in Jesus' eyes... What is it of Jesus that is doing the purifying? I see you, Thyatira. I see what's going on in your church. I see what has allowed you there, or what you've allowed there. I see what's going on. That the purification is coming from Jesus' sight. And it says His feet are like fine brass. That you've got all of this imagery of purifying in Jesus' introduction. That should clue us in. If we're talking about a furnace, we're talking about purification, then something in Thyatira is not right. Something in Thyatira is impure. And that is in fact true. Jesus says in verse 19, hey, there's a lot of good stuff about this church. He says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And they got a lot going for them, don't they? That's a lot of good things. Your works, your love. You remember, if you go back to Ephesus, they had all these things too, except they didn't have love. Right? That was Jesus' criticism of Ephesus in his first letter. Is that you've got all this other stuff, but you don't have love. Well, he goes to, to Thyatira and he says, Well, you've got all this and love. Works, service, love, patience, faith. And then he says, As for your works, the last are more than the first. That this church is not only doing good, it's not only doing well, the good that it's doing and the degree to which it's doing well are increasing. On Sunday nights when we get together and we pray, I pray for growth in two ways. By number and what? Depth. That I don't want this church to just grow horizontally. I want it to grow vertically too. I want us to dig roots deeper and reach higher toward God. I want that. <clears throat> That's a good thing. That we should desire to reach more people and we should desire to reach heavenward toward God that we want to grow that way as well and it seems like this church is doing that and if this letter had stopped there that would be perfect but the letter doesn't stop there does it he says I, I know your works that they're <coughs> they're actually more than the first nevertheless I have a few things against you in verse 20 because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, y'all, I'm going to give you a fair warning here as I go forward. Jesus is going to use a common biblical metaphor when it comes to the church in Thyatira. Throughout almost all of your Bible, 
God's favorite analogy for folks who leave him to worship other gods is that of adultery. He does it all the way through the Old Testament. He does it all the way through the New Testament. In the New Testament, he refers to the church as the bride of Christ. He refers to Christ as the church's husband. In the Old Testament, God was a husband who claimed Israel as his bride. That, that, and when Israel left him to go chase after false gods, he referred to her as an adulteress. Okay? I give you all of that warning to tell you and ask you this question on the outset of me preaching this sermon. Do you want your pastor to relay to you what Jesus said with the force he said it? Or do you want me to tame it down a little bit? Do you want me to tame it down? Yes or no? No. All right. You have been warned. (laughs) I'm going to say it the way Jesus said it. Use the metaphor Jesus used. Parents of children, be warned. Jesus pulls no punches. Okay? Is that alright? I'm just letting y'all know. So when y'all get there, y'all aren't shocked. Because Jesus is not concerned about being polite. Okay? Jesus says, you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, is she a prophetess? No, she calls herself one. To teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. This is not the literal Jezebel. How many of y'all have ever known a girl named Jezebel? Anybody? No. Any of y'all ever known, known a man named Judas? Ever met a parent who's like, I can't wait to name my son Judas. Why doesn't a parent name, why doesn't a dad name his son Judas? Because Judas betrayed Jesus, right? It's a name of shame. You don't want to be into That's the same reason you ain't ever found a girl named Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? Let's go back. Well, I'm not going to go back all the way into the Old Testament and read you five or six chapters of 1 Kings. Because if you want the whole story of Jezebel, you've got to go back and do that. But in 1 Kings 16.31, we find out that Jezebel was the wife of a king of the northern Israelite kingdom. Um, the king's name was Ahab. And Jezebel was so bad of a choice as a wife that the Bible actually says Ahab marrying her was worse than anything his predecessors had ever done. Now, his predecessors had done some pretty jacked up stuff. Okay? There were some pretty rough kings before Ahab. But marrying Jezebel was apparently so bad in the eyes of God that Ahab marrying Jezebel was worse than anything his predecessors had done. Now, there are several reasons for this. First off, she was just not a very nice woman. Uh, She did lots of bad things. But let's deal with what she did in a minute. Let's deal with who she was first. She was the daughter of a man named Ethbaal. You hear, you hear Baal at the end of that name right there? That should already give you a warning if you've read your Old Testament. This is not good. She was the daughter of the king of the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians worshipped Baal. Um, she was a potential priestess of Baal. Now, this is not guaranteed by Scripture, but based on what you see in your Bible, if you read 1 Kings 16 through 22, uh, it's very likely uh, Ethbaal was a high priest um, of a, a Mesopotamian god according to a Jewish historian named Josephus. And if they followed the same traditions of Mesopotamian uh, kingdoms in that time period, if Ethbaal, her dad, was a high priest of, of their nation god, then tradition was the daughter of the high priest was named the high priestess of the local god, which would have been Baal. So Ahab did not just marry a foreign woman. He most likely married a high priestess of Baal. That's rough if you're an Israelite. You just don't get involved with foreign gods, much less marry a high priestess. 
So when she comes in, the first thing she convinces Ahab to do is to build a temple for Baal in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. So this land belongs to the God of Israel. And right smack in its capital, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, builds a temple for Baal, this foreign god. Strike one. Second, she institutionally supported prophets of Baal and Asherah at her own royal table. That she used her royal resources. In other words, the money that she got, which was support for the royal family, support for the kingdom. When the federal government, the United States, does something with money, where did they get that money? Everybody raise your hand. Hopefully they didn't just print it. Because if they did, what we got ain't worth as much, is it? But if they're spending it, they got it from us. It was the same thing then. Money didn't grow on trees then. It doesn't grow on trees now. If they got money, they got it from Israelites. Which means Jezebel is taking money from Israelites in the form of taxes and then using those taxes to support the prophets of Baal and Asherah at her own time. She's basically giving welfare to prophets of a foreign god. She's supporting them. And on top of that, not only is she supporting them, she uses her royal authority to start putting to death the real prophets of Yahweh. This is all in like, you know when a new president's inaugurated, they have like the whole thing about like the first hundred days, like how much is he going to get done in the first hundred days? This is all like Jezebel's first hundred days stuff. She does this the minute she gets into town. But what, what was it they say on the infomercials? But wait, there's more. Yeah. She uses Ahab... Ahab was not the best guy himself. And there's a guy that Ahab, this guy has a vineyard next to Ahab's palace. His name's Naboth. And it was a beautiful vineyard. It was a great garden. He, Ahab wanted it to be a vegetable garden. So far, you know, that's not a bad thing. In fact, Ahab even goes to him and says, hey, I would really like to buy your land from you, Naboth. That, that it's really close to the palace. I need a vegetable garden. You got good land. Here, I'll, I'll pay you a fair price for it. Sell it to me. And Naboth says, Ahab, I can't do that. That's my family's land. It's always been my family's land. I can't sell it to you. And Ahab puts on his poo-poo face. I mean, actually does. He goes home. He pouts. He lays down in his bed angry and refuses to eat. Because this guy refused to sell him his vineyard. And Jezebel, sweet, kind, loving Jezebel, comes in and tells him, what's wrong, Ahab? And he goes, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. And Jezebel goes, are you the king or not? You stay there, I'll take care of this. So she goes out, uses his royal seal, uses the royal stationery, and writes letters to officials in the area and says, put together a feast. And you invite Naboth. And you sit him in the seat of honor so that everybody's looking at him. And then you let me take care of the rest. She hires two men to testify against him falsely in public that he blasphemed God and the king and they drag him outside and stone him and kill him right there. Then once Naboth is dead, she says, Hey, Ahab, Naboth's dead. Why don't you go claim his vineyard? And Ahab does. And for this, God testifies that Jezebel, not only are you going to die, but you're not even even going to be buried. The dogs are going to eat your flesh from your bones. And that ends up happening. So how many of you want to name your daughter Jezebel? Anybody? No. Yeah, see, Jezebel's not a good woman. This Jezebel is not the literal Jezebel that Jesus is mentioning here because this was thousands of years prior to, well, hundreds of years at the very least, before Revelation chapter 2. Jezebel has long been dead. But what you have here is a person, a lady, who is no different 
than the first Jezebel. She is someone who had been allowed to wield leadership and authority in the community of God's people who wasn't actually part of the community. She had no business being a part of God's people. She had no business leading God's people, but here they were following her anyway. And by the way, a public service announcement. This is, not a, this is not a sermon in which I'm going to say something silly like don't listen to women. That's not what I'm getting at. It's very possible for a man to do exactly what this Jezebel's doing too. It's possible for anybody to show up and take authority and say things and people to listen to a false teacher, regardless of whether it's a man or a woman. In this case, it was a woman, so you get Jezebel. When it's a man, what happens? You get it like the last church, and Jesus says, Balaam. Jesus doesn't care who the false teacher is. He's going to call them out. But look at how gracious Jesus is, even with this false teacher. Verse 21, he said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Now, what is this sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols? These were prominent parts of pagan Roman culture at the time. This would have been perfectly normal. In fact, that was part of worship of the Roman gods. There were temple prostitutes. That was part of worship of the Roman gods. That depending on the Roman god you were going to worship, that might have been involved. And not only would it have been involved, not only would it have been seen as as okay, it would have been seen as moral and righteous for you to be involved in that. That's how different pagan culture was from Christianity. And whoever this Jezebel is, is telling folks, this is okay. This is fine. This is not going to hurt anything. So there's physical immorality, but there's also spiritual immorality because these folks are no longer just worshiping God. They're also worshiping something else, someone else. There's both physical and spiritual cheating on happening. Jesus was gracious though. He says, I gave her time to repent. And in the New King James, it just says she did not repent. But if you dig down in the Greek, there's actually a word in the middle. It's not just that she didn't repent. You're given the reason why. And some of your other translations may reflect something more like this. The idea behind this is she did not repent because literally in the Greek, she did not wish to repent. You know why she didn't repent, y'all? She didn't want to. That's why. She didn't repent because she didn't want to. Church, you don't need me to waste my time by telling you that Jezebels are out there, do you? You know that, don't you? There are such things as false teachers. There are such things as people who masquerade as members of God's people and tell you that certain things are okay when you know good and well they're not okay, don't you? You know that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on there. And I don't want to waste my time by telling you to try and prevent them from showing up. Because y'all, there's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do to prevent false prophets, false leaders from rising up. That's just real. It's just going to happen. You can't do anything about that. And chances are, some of us have listened to them to varying degrees throughout the years. Well, Josh, I don't know if I've ever listened to a false prophet. Sure you have. Have you ever had a friend that told you, oh, this ain't going to be a big deal. Go along with me for a minute. And you do? You ever done that? Oh, y'all shaking your head? No, that's fine. Jesus will forgive you for lying too. You have. We all have. Jezebel. Balaam. False prophet, false teacher. It's tempting to do so. Why? Because Jezebel's suggestions are almost always enjoyable and fit together quite nicely with the culture at large. Why was Jezebel so successful at tempting these Christians with sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols? Why do you think that she was so successful at tempting them with that? Because it was already culturally accepted. It was already Everybody else outside the walls of the church believed it was okay already. 
That there was intense cultural pressure from the outside coming to the folks in the church that it was actually easier to listen to Jezebel than it was to listen to Jesus. Because if you listen to Jezebel, the folks on the outside love you. And they go, these folks aren't crazy. They're actually pretty much like us. They just believe one or two different things. Their lifestyle's not all that different. You tend to have plenty of company at Baal's temple. There are lots of people willing to worship at that altar. There are plenty of places in Jefferson County you can go. I debated last night whether I was going to say this, but I'm up here now and I'm behind the pulpit and I got at least 20 feet between me and the nearest one of y'all, so it'd take you a minute to beat me up, so I'm going to say it. You get a lot more company at the ball field on Wednesday night than you do at church. There's a lot more people there. You get a lot more company on Saturday at a football game than, than you do at a church work day. Or gymnastics or football practice or basketball practice or anything like that. Now, is there anything wrong with, with, with baseball or softball or anything like that? No. There's not a thing wrong with it. What's wrong with it I'll tell you this story. I won't name no names. Y'all, a bunch of y'all know I was a youth pastor before I came here. I had a worship leader in my youth group show up one late one Wednesday night. We didn't have any music that Wednesday night because my, my youth that was helping me lead worship showed up late. And I asked him afterward, I said, how come you weren't here? He wouldn't care about me telling this story. So how come you weren't here? I said, I had football practice. I said... You go to a Christian school. It's Wednesday. What do you mean you had football practice? He said, well, my coach said not many churches have church on Wednesday anymore. I said, can your church, can your coach name me five? I mean, we were in Athens. There must have been 150 churches. Naming five wouldn't have been hard. Do you know what? Some parents got upset that their kids were late for church. They didn't know that their kids were being late for church, that their coaches were keeping afterward. So their parents called and pitched a fit to their coach, and guess what? Football practice on Wednesday was no longer mandatory. But do you know what? When you just accept the status quo, and oh, that's fine, don't worry. Everybody else does things this way. That's all right. You don't have to go to church on Wednesday to be saved. You don't have to go to church on Sunday morning to be saved. The Bible doesn't say you can't do this. I mean, if you take a Sunday off, it's going to be fine. And you know what? All those things are true. You don't have to be at church on Wednesday to be saved. You don't even have to be at church on Sunday morning to be saved. But do you know what? All it takes is this little drip, drip, drip of erosion. And guess what? Wednesday's no longer important to you. Sunday's no longer important to you. That... Church is no longer important to your kids because by taking them to the ball field instead of taking them to church, when they turn 16, they've been taught for 16 years of their life that church is less important than baseball. So you pull your hair out when they're 21 and they're laying drunk in an alley somewhere and you go, where did I go wrong? I took them to church. When? When you took them, did you stay? Did you serve? Or was it just another activity? Where on the wrong did it fall? Did you teach them it was important with your words or with your actions? Did you listen to Jesus or did you listen to Jezebel who told you that this wasn't going to hurt you? Everybody's at the ball field. Everybody's at the gymnastics place. Everybody's at at the club. Everybody's camping. Everybody's doing this. It's not going to hurt you if you do this. The rest of the culture is already there. Come join. Come have fun. Jesus didn't tell you not to. I'm just meddling now. But I'm sorry, I'm a youth pastor. I've seen what it does. And say, so, well, Josh, I, not all of us have kids in here. Yeah, but some of you have grandkids. 
You're just being a stick in the mud. They have fun, yes. But what are they learning? See, y'all thought I was going to be talking about false teachers in different religious organizations, didn't you? Here's the kicker. I am. For some people, recreation is a religion. I got any number of friends who was out when I was in college, and I'll admit, I did this. That way y'all can. When I was in college, man, when I was a red coach, especially if Georgia had a night game, I'd get back at 2.33 in the morning from the road trip in church, Sunday school, man, it was at 9.30 the next morning. And I had to drive 20 minutes to get to the church that I wanted to go to. It was real easy to worship at Cotton Springs Baptist that morning. Just stay in the bed. Because, man, I tell you what, Saturday you get there, you go to this giant cathedral named Sanford Stadium, and everybody's in their church clothes of red and, white, red and black, and they're all singing the hymns. They're singing glory, glory to old Georgia and hail to Georgia. See, it's a religion. It's got all the same trappings, right? You've got your, your music, you've got your clothes, you've got your cathedral. You've got your pantheon, all the names of the retired players up there. I've seen grown men cry over Georgia that I hadn't seen get emotional in church their entire life. It's a religion. Jezebels. This is fine. This is fine. Just engage. No, Y'all, Jesus is patient with that, but his patience is meant to bring you to repentance. Romans 2, 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? How do, God's being patient with you right now. How do I know he's being patient with you right now? You're here. He's giving you a chance to hear this. And what does repentance look like? Jezebel was from a cursed people. But she brought her curse with her into God's community and never turned her back on it. You know who else was a member of a cursed people? Ruth. She was a Moabite. She came into God's people too. But you know what the difference between Ruth and Jezebel was? Listen to what Ruth said when she came to God's people. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. This is Ruth 1.15. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She said, you know what? I might have been born in Israel. I might have been born a Moabite, but I'm dying in Israelite. I'm leaving everything about my Moabite life behind me, and I'm not interested in going back. Being a Christian is not just identifying with a church. It's taking on a lifestyle that Jesus prescribes and says, I don't care if it costs me everything else this world has to offer. I am leaving that behind and I am following Jesus. And that might make your kids mad. That might make your grandkids mad. But wouldn't you rather have a kid that's mad right now and is in church at 16 or 17 rather than a kid who just thinks you're the best thing in the world right now and they can't name four books in the New Testament when they're 20 years old? I've seen it happen. It's real. Jesus is patient, but His patience is meant to lead you to repentance. Change something! And second, God's patience is limited and it's backed by consequences. Now y'all, this is why I warned you at the beginning. Y'all gave me permission to say what I'm about to say. So remember, before you send me your, 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 your angry email, you told me to do this. Okay? Listen to what Jesus says. Because Jezebel decided not to repent. Verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. 
Here is literally what Jesus is saying in the force he says it with. If you got folks who like committing adultery by jumping into bed with Jezebel so much, let them jump into the sick bed with her. That's exactly what he said. That they're so intent on leaving me behind to follow her. If they want to follow her, they can follow her into exactly what she's about to suffer. Her time for repentance is over. Theirs is not. But if they keep going, then they will suffer the same thing she does. Now y'all, I'm just quoting Jesus. Say, oh my gosh, Josh, that's a little strong. That's a little graphic. Doesn't Jesus take this seriously though? He does. Very much. And then look what he says in verse 23. He says, I will kill her children with death. That's a linguistic way of basically saying, if you remember the the plague in Egypt, when God sent the angel of death to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, that's him saying this right now. He said, I will kill them with death. I will do it myself. <clears throat> and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Now, now, quick exegesis here. He doesn't mean literal children. How do I know that? Well, because Jezebel is not literally committing adultery with the, the, the folks in the church. What he means is spiritual adultery. Y'all are following her. You are following this false god. You are following this liar. You are worshiping someone who's not me. That's spiritual adultery. So folks who listen to this doctrine and buy into it and believe it and are sold out on it, those are not children of God. Those are children of Jezebel. And they are masquerading as mine. Do you know that when you follow a false God and you masquerade as a Christian, you're not just lying about you, you're lying about Jesus? And Jesus is not okay with that. So what does Jesus say the penalty is going to be for that false testimony, church? Death. Not at the hand of the church, not at the hand of the government, not at the hand of persecution, not at the hand of vigilantes, not at the hand of... Jesus says, I'm going to do it myself. Now that's a stern warning if I've ever heard it, isn't it? And this word searches the minds and the hearts. That second word, or that word mind, is not the word you would expect to see for mind in Greek. It's the word nephros. It actually means kidneys. Jesus says, I'm the one who searches the kidneys in the heart. That's odd, isn't it? In the ancient world, though, the kidneys, the bowels, were believed to be where the... That, that's where they would have understood the emotions to reside. And it makes sense, Right? Like when you were dating your husband and your wife and you saw them and they were all pretty and they were dressed up and they put their, their perfume on and she came and she gave you that little peck on the cheek where you feel the butterflies. It's right there. Oh, that's so sweet. That's nice. When something real bad's about to happen at work and it feels like you were on a roller coaster and it just dropped out from under you, where'd you feel it? Right there. It, that, that's where they believe the emotions to be. And it makes sense because you can feel it there. What is Jesus saying? There's a problem with this church's affections. That their heart is longing for this other God. This is not... Let's go back to what we were talking about before. This is not a parent saying... My kid really wants to do this, and I want them to do it too, but Jesus said no, but I wish I could go sit at the ball field on Wednesday night instead of being at this church. I'm going to have to put up with them. You might be outwardly obeying Jesus right then, but is your heart or your emotions? No. Because you're outwardly doing what Jesus wants, but, but Jesus says, I search the mind and the emotions. I know whether or not you want to obey me. This is the parent that goes, you know what? I love my kids. I love my grandkids enough. I love Jesus enough. 
that I'm going to love them by leading them into something that they might not even like right now, but it's going to benefit them later. And I'm going to do this out of my love for Jesus and therefore my love for them. And I'm going to be happy to do it and endure whatever it costs me. That's what Jesus is looking for. And Jesus also promises judgment commensurate with each person's actions where he says, I will give to each of you according to your works. Romans 2, 5, and 6. Jesus says this is what happens when you're given an opportunity to repent, to change your heart and your life, and you don't do it. He says, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Guys, that God's patience has an end point. It has a point at which it runs out. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What does it mean to receive the Word of God in vain? It means for you to sit here today and hear what I've told you, that Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for you, and pay for your sins, and claim you as one of His own, and, and call you to live for Him, to live with Him, to live for Him, and to have the joy of being with Him, and the promise of being together with Him forever. And you go, nah, to do something else. That's hearing it in vain. Guys, listen, you can get saved right here today hearing what I said. You don't, the, the, uh, you've heard the whole gospel at various points. Am I leaving anything out, y'all? You could be saved hearing what I said today. But if you leave here and you say, oh, I'd rather do other stuff, that doesn't sound all that fun. You've heard it in vain. And you continue to live. And Jesus says the result of that is that you're actually storing up wrath. So God's patience uh, is limited. And it's backed by consequences. And then finally, God's patience is specific and serves as a warning. And we'll close with this. Jesus says, And I say to you, to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have, Till I come. There was actually this belief called Gnosticism at the time blowing up that, that some of its early proponents actually said, I'll prove to you that this isn't going to hurt your Christianity. Go and indulge in that and see if it lessens your faith. They said, Jesus has saved your soul. He saved your heart. This body, it's going to die. It's going to rot. It's going to go away. Nothing you do to your body can touch what Jesus has done to your heart. So I'll prove to you that I'm right. Go and indulge in all this stuff that your body does. And I bet you your love for Jesus and your faith in Him won't be diminished at all. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Fact is, your body does affect you. And Jesus is saying, hey... To all y'all who bought this lie, that you can go and indulge in the depths of Satan, and that's not going to offend me, that's not going to upset me, that's not going to hurt your faith. He said, I, I've spoken to them, but for those of you who aren't listening, hold what you got. Hold what you got. Overcome. He who overcomes, keep my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He quotes Psalm 2. And says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I have also received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. Do you know what it means for Jesus to say, I'll give him the morning star? Because if you do, I don't. And neither does any other commentator. We have no idea. But if it's something Jesus has got to give me, I want it. but it only belongs to those who overcome. What does that mean? Those who maintain till the end. 1 John 2.19 Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Do you know the easiest way to tell whether or not a person is a Christian? Whether or not they stick with it. Don't talk to me about your faith at the beginning of your walk. Talk to me about your faith at the end of the 50, 60, 70 year walk. Well, the process don't last that long. 
But they look like it's it's fake. Guys, there are Jezebel everywhere. There are liars everywhere. There's false doctrine everywhere. And every single one of them has the same thing in common. There are certain things that are okay. Well, Jesus doesn't care about this. This ain't going to hurt your faith. Go indulge. Go have a little bit of fun. It's all right to skip church to go do this. Sure, you can skip twice a month, three times a month. Guys, the Bible doesn't even say you have to be in church. If you don't make it this month, next month, maybe you don't need to go this year. That you can engage, maybe, maybe you can have church at home. It could just be you and Jesus and, and Charles Stanley on TV. By the way, I love Charles Stanley. I'm not knocking him. But I guarantee if you told Charles Stanley that watching him at home alone was your church, he'd be just as upset with you. Jezebel loves for you to engage in what's going on out there because there's always plenty of room in Baal's temple and there's always plenty of friends there to hang out with. But Jesus said, overcome. Don't jump in there with her. Because if you jump in there with her, what she gets, you get. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Or, in layman's terms, you lie down with the dog and you get up what, church? Please. That's exactly what Jesus said. Beware Jezebel. Cover me, please. And why is Jesus telling you this? Because he loves you. And he wants better for you. And I want better for you. Jim and Miss Joyce are going to come lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn. This is your opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, to come to him. Run from Jezebel. I don't know who you've been listening to. I don't know if you've been listening to somebody on the radio you don't need to be listening to. I don't know if you've been listening to a ball coach. I don't know if you've been listening to a buddy that you like to go on road trips with. I don't know. But if they're pulling you away from Jesus, cut them out right now. Cut them out. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for the first time. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to be saved. I want to talk to you about that. Um, you can come down this aisle and talk to me. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin. You can catch me at the back door. But I don't want you to leave without responding at the Holy Spirit's calling. I'm going to pray. You need to come. You come. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warning. That you are patient with us. That even your patience has an end. And Lord, I pray that uh, whatever Jezebels have been speaking to us that we've been listening to, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to cut that out and not listen and pay attention anymore. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be faithful to you. We would be faithful to serve you, to be with you, and to love you, and to love obey you. And Jesus, I pray anybody you're working on right now, you would draw to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.